So this morning we get to wrap up our teaching series that we've been journeying with for the last eight weeks or so, Eat, Drink and Talk. Hasn't the last uh, eight weeks absolutely flown by? I cannot tell you what a joy the last eight weeks has been as we've looked at different stories of Jesus eating, drinking and talking with different people. God has been bringing change and transformation into people's lives. Uh, God has been stirring things up. I believe that Jesus has been drawing people closer to um, himself. People have been built up in their journey of faith. What a joy. Um, That happens, of course, every time we open up the scriptures. If we have ears to hear, God can bring change and he can bring transformation. I know of at least one person who's made a commitment for Jesus for the first time as a consequence of us journeying through these scriptures and looking at Jesus. Jesus is still at work. He's still bringing change to lives. Uh, Really exciting August ahead of us. You know, we've got three baptisms happening in August. Uh, Two in the sea. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Two in the sea and one in the baptistry uh, here on three different occasions All people who have been journeying and exploring what Christian faith is all about have been with us on the journey, have joined us in Alpha, and are now ready to declare their personal faith in Jesus uh, through baptism. God is alive. God is at work. The Word is active. He's still bringing change and transformation into people's lives. And I guess I was wrestling with the question, well, how do you wrap up a teaching series about eating, drinking, and talking? In fact, it's been mostly about eating. Uh, I don't know if you'd noticed that. Well, I always like to finish a meal with pudding, uh, preferably with a lemon meringue pie. uh, But since I couldn't find a Bible story about lemon meringue pies, I did look, uh, or even about pudding more generally, I thought we'd finish our teaching series with the most important meal of the day, which everyone knows is coffee. Uh, Sorry, breakfast. Breakfast, of course, is the most important meal of the day. And on the menu for breakfast for us today is barbecued fish and bread, and there's plenty of it. In fact, there's 153 fish precisely to be shared between not more than about six or seven people. 153 fish. Don't you just love the obscure detail that the Bible sometimes contains? Now, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that a bunch of fishermen had worked out how many fish they'd caught. I'd never, ever spoken to a fisherman who doesn't tell you how many fish they've caught or how many they nearly caught, because there's always the ones that get away. 153 fish. Well, there's an invitation uh, today that comes from our scripture reading, and the invitation is, come and have breakfast. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, come and have breakfast with me. Now, at one level, I guess these are probably some of the most mundane words that are captured in the whole of the Bible. I say pretty much exactly the same thing to our kids every morning as I'm trying to drag them out of bed. Come down, let's have breakfast together, and it's normally greeted with, no, leave me alone, as they kind of disappear under their duvets. My invitation to to come to breakfast gets forgotten just about as quickly as I've made it. But in the context of our Bible story today, these are some of the most moving and some of the most profound words that these disciples could have heard, given all that they've been through up to this point. Now, you'll know this if you were with us last weekend, but our scripture reading this morning is the perfect follow-on from the message last weekend. We ended last Sunday with Jesus predicting to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the croc croc, has even crowed. Let's go with rooster has even crowed. 
Now, if you know the story, you'll remember Peter adamantly says, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. Jesus, not me. Other people might let you down, but I'm not going to. And almost as soon as he said it, he stumbles and he falls on his face as he denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. He's challenged by a servant girl and uh, that he's been with Jesus. And Peter says, woman, I do not, deny him. do not know him. Denial number one. Someone else sees him and he says, well, you're one of them. His response is, man, I do not know who it is you're talking about. Denial number two. And then if you know the story about an hour later, an hour later, even after Peter's had time to reflect on denial one and denial two, someone else says to him, he's got to be one of them. He's got Galilean written all over his face. And Peter replies, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Denial number three. You know, the scriptures tell us that the moment Peter heard that rooster, he caught the eye of Jesus and Peter ran outside and he wept bitterly. He ran outside and he wept bitterly. Now, we need to understand these weren't just crocodile tears. This wasn't kind of baseline weeping. This was weeping that came deep from the very core of who Peter was. This was agony of the heart. I wonder if you've ever been there. Have you ever been so disappointed that you've wept like that? Heart-wrenching, visceral brokenness. Peter denies one, two, three. The rooster crows. Jesus looks. Peter's world breaks. Well, I wonder if for a moment you can try and put yourself into Peter's shoes. My guess is here that Peter... um, hearing that rooster crow and seeing that look from Jesus, well, they were probably two of the most painful things that had ever happened in his life up to this point. But there is hope. Why? Because standing between Peter's fall and his eventual restoration, which happens over breakfast with Jesus, is the cross of Christ. You see, hope starts at the cross. It finds fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus over death. There is still hope for Peter in this moment. How? Because of the cross. Because Jesus conquered death, Peter has hope. Because Jesus conquered death, there is hope even for you and I today, even in those moments when we feel like we've let Jesus down more than we've ever let him down before. Even if this morning, even if metaphorically you sense you're lying on your face and you're rolling in the mud, would you know today there is hope for you because of the cross of Christ? You see, what we have here in our story today as we link it to last weekend is one of the most devastating falls of one of the greatest leaders that the church has ever known. I think our story is one of the saddest, and yet it's one of the most hopeful and helpful stories in the whole of the Bible. Why? Because Jesus doesn't leave Peter fallen. Jesus doesn't leave Peter stuck in the mud, but he dramatically restores him. In fact, he goes on to make Peter the foundation upon which he would then go on to build his church. Jesus declares to Peter today that he is more than the sum total of his life's highs and lows. And I just wonder if some of us need to hear that truth today. Some of us need to hear Jesus declaring over us, you are not the sum total of your successes and your failures in life. Jesus' grace is too great to leave you in that place. That's the grace of God. We're going to think about it this morning. And in fact, I'm going to invite you to wallow today in the grace of God. 
Well, let's turn to our scripture reading, John chapter 21. Uh, It says this, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. Disappointment loves company, doesn't it? We're going to come with you. So they went out and they got into a boat and they, they spent all night fishing but caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, then throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard John say this, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around himself because he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, only about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. They were large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast with me. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There was once a man who'd uh, been fishing and he'd earned enough brownie points from his wife to go for the whole day and he'd sat in the blazing sun and caught absolutely nothing. Now this guy knew if he went home, his wife was going to be furious with him if he went home empty-handed. So to avoid her wrath on his way home, he stopped at the fish market and he bought four rainbow trout. He said to the sales assistant behind the counter, pick out four of the really big ones, were you the biggest ones, and then will you throw them to me? Well, why on earth do you want me to throw them at you, said the salesman, because I want to be able to tell my wife that I caught them. Well, consider the context for a moment to our story today. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been buried. He's miraculously risen from the dead. And then on a couple of other occasions, he's appeared to his disciples. To say that the disciples were baffled by all that was going on in their world would be an absolute understatement. As they're starting to readjust to this series of life-changing events that have happened, Peter and the other disciples decide we're going to return and we're going to retreat to safety. That's what we often do when we're in a tough place. We go to the safe and the familiar. So they go fishing. Now remember, they were fishermen before Jesus called them to, to follow him. They get into the boat, they fish all night, they catch nothing. Now, my guess is this is probably not the first time this would have happened to them. And then just as day is breaking, Jesus calls to them uh, from the shore, but they don't realize that it's him. Cast your net on the other side of the boat, Jesus says to them, and then the resulting catch is so large that they struggle to haul it in. Now, John, of course it's John, is the first to realize that it's Jesus, and he says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter's response, isn't it brilliant? It's so classic. It's so Peter. He puts on his coat or whatever he was wearing. He leaps into the water shouting, Geronimo! And then he wades 100 meters to the shore, whilst the other disciples are just carefully and sensibly uh, rowing back to the shore. 
But I want us to spot something from the story, and it's this, is that both responses are good. Whether you're Peter leaping into the water and getting drenched, or whether you're John leading the other disciples in a rowing boat, both responses are good in the company of Jesus. Did you notice that Jesus neither commends nor rebukes either of those responses? Peter responds immediately in the way that Peter responds. John and the other disciples respond in the way that they respond. They respond in the way that God had uniquely wired them to be in their personalities. We've got John, calm and measured, rowing to the shore. Peter, impulsive and just gung-ho and and kind of going for it. I really love Peter. I wonder why. We have John, who's got this amazing spiritual discernment in the moment. He hears Jesus call out and he says, wow, that's Jesus. It's Jesus, guys, just like he did at the tomb. And then there's Peter, who making this great realization is just impulsive. So what does he do? He jumps into the water. And we need to know this, is the church needs and is full of disciples of all kinds, and all kinds are welcome in the company of Jesus. Shields and swords, axes and hammers, chisels and swords, Marys and Marthas, Peters and Johns, Jesus loves them all. Verse 8 is almost comical, isn't it? Simon Peter realized it was a master. He threw on some clothes, for he stripped for work, and then he dove into the sea. I leave myself wrestling with the question, why on earth did he bother putting clothes on? If you think in pictures, I'm really sorry, but when I go swimming, I tend to take them off. But here, Peter does the exact opposite, but Jesus loves a Peter. Jesus loves a John. And then when they arrive on shore, there's this coal fire, there's some fish laid out on it, there's some bread. What a a welcoming sight for some weary fishermen. And Jesus simply says to them, would you come and would you have breakfast with me? What an invitation. And then we read, Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. As I put myself into the shoes of these fishermen, for Jesus to feed these guys breakfast, for these these failed men, that's what they were. They were failed men, really. It must have not only provided such satisfaction for their stomachs, but also grace for their souls. You know, this is a breakfast of grace. And all of this happens in front of a, a charcoal fire. And I just imagine Peter in this moment having a bit of a a deja vu moment. You might remember the last time he was in front of a coal fire was when he was denying Jesus for the third time. It was in a coal fire that he denied Jesus for the third time, and now it's in front of a coal fire that Jesus is about to restore his relationship with him. This same Jesus is inviting Peter to the warmth of a charcoal And I think the grace-filled irony of this moment really shouldn't be missed. It seems to me Jesus set this up. I wonder if Jesus knew Peter so well that he knew just the right thing that would trigger all the thoughts and the memories in Peter's head that he would remember back to the denial and perhaps link it to the restoration. So Jesus hands out the bread and the fish to his disciples. I can picture his his nail-scarred hands that morning as he gave out these, these bits of food. Jesus, the risen Lord, the one who's defeated sin and Satan and death, is there on the shore and he's serving his disciples, these hungry disciples, the very men for whom he'd suffered and he died to save. There's a net full of fish, there's a crackling fire, there's the smell of fresh bread baking, there's the satisfaction of a a hot breakfast, there's the presence of the risen Lord Jesus as he signals to these disciples, do you know what guys, Everything's going to be okay. 
everything is going to be okay. And I just wonder whether some of us need to hear that this morning. We've been through a tough time, a difficult time. Maybe even today we can sense we're stood in front of Jesus just drenched because we've just jumped in the water and we're wrestling with our sin and with our shame. Jesus says to you today, do you know what? It's going to be okay. And you know, that is the truth for anyone who will receive the grace and the mercy from those same nail-scarred hands that the disciples received their gifts from. He's still doing the same work amongst us today. However you feel you may have failed, however worn out and weary you've become in the journey of faith, however fruitless or seemingly fruitless, fruitless you feel your efforts are for Jesus, would you remember breakfast on the shore because Jesus says to you it's going to be okay. Remember Jesus who's full of mercy. Remember Jesus who's full of grace and calls his disciples unto himself. This is the amazing grace of God to sinners like me that he invites me to come even though he knows my wretchedness. You see, when we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, do you know it's an ocean of grace out there? And whether you're like Peter and you decide to swim in that ocean of grace or whether you're like John and the other disciples and you're just kind of quietly rowing in that ocean of grace, would you enjoy the ocean of grace and would you swim in that ocean of grace as you come to the feet of Jesus, to his invitation to be in relationship with him? The story about the breakfast is beautiful and it's really sweet in so many ways. So much it can teach us. But I wonder actually whether the more momentous dialogue comes with Peter in what follows. Let me read on from verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I imagine that Jesus here at this point just pointing at the disciples. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than each of these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Three times Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. And I remind you today, as I remind myself, that we are all needy recipients of the grace of Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter how intensely we feel we might love Jesus like Peter, no matter how sold out we are for him like Peter, we are all still subject to the same moments of weakness and even epic failure that Peter experienced. And perhaps the most important thing we can learn from our reading this morning is this, is that the love of God is greater than our ability to deserve it or even live up to it. You know, Peter here would have been wrestling with his shame, with his disappointment, with, with his embarrassment. I wonder if you've ever been where Peter has been. Mr. Bold, Mrs. Confident, making these grand statements before Jesus. I'll never deny you, Jesus. In fact, Jesus, I'll go to jail for you. I'll even die for you. But then under pressure, you've caved in and you find yourself wallowing in a, in a swampland of shame. I've been there. I know what it's like. If you've been there, or maybe if you find yourself in that place now, it's very easy to think, well, Jesus, you're going to write me off now. I'm surely finished. There's nothing more useful that I can do for you. Can I say to you this morning, John chapter 21 is for you. It's God's living word for you today. 
You see, this conversation between Jesus and Peter, I think, captures two amazing kind of critical intertwined restorations. The first is Peter's relationship with Jesus is restored, but then secondly, against all of the odds, Jesus restores the call that he already had over Peter's life. That's what all that feed my sheep stuff was all about. Jesus is actually affirming the call that Peter had to be the rock upon whom he would build his church. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you, then feed my sheep. Jesus says to Peter again, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Again, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? Now, John's gospel says to us that when Jesus asked him the third time, Peter became really upset. Why? Because I think Peter suddenly sees the connection here between the number of times Jesus was asking him the question, do you love me, with the number of times that he had denied Jesus only a few days before. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I love you. I love you. I love you. I deny you. I deny you. I deny you. And you have to wrestle with the question, well, why is Jesus doing this? Is he somehow trying to embarrass Peter? Was he trying to pour yet more guilt onto Peter's shame inferno, which is already burning bright? I don't think so. I think this is a moment of incredible tenderness from Jesus. I don't think there's an ounce of condemnation in Jesus' voice as he constantly asks, Peter, do you love me? Jesus' words, his, his heart, his, his eyes here are full of compassion for this broken man. You see, I think Jesus is trying to show Peter that the basis of his restoration is not about Peter's performance, but it's all about the grace of God. Jesus' love and acceptance of Peter are given as gifts based on his own finished work on the cross. And he was longing that Peter would grasp that. You know, there's something we shouldn't miss in this story about Peter. And how did Jesus turn Peter, a guy who was shaky, a guy who denied Jesus three times in one evening, into somebody who would eventually endure crucifixion himself because he was a follower of Jesus? Did he do it by teaching Peter loads of new doctrines? No, he didn't. Did he say to him, Peter, there's five simple steps that you need to follow in order to get to the cross to die for me? No, he didn't. Did he encourage Peter to read a self-help book? No, he didn't. Jesus achieves all this in Peter's life through an experience of grace. Peter's failures brought him closer to Jesus than his successes ever could. That gives me incredible hope. When Peter was to stretch out his hands in his own strength and say, look how mighty I am, what happened? He denied Christ and he fell on his face. But when he stretches out his arms, almost in a, in a sense of intimacy and dependence upon Jesus, like maybe a child would stretch out their hands to a parent, he would actually discover the strength to endure crucifixion and the ability to stand for Jesus in even more tougher times than he was already experiencing. And you know, I think all of this should encourage us because Jesus chose Peter to lead his church, not despite his failures, but because of his failures. It was Peter's failures that put him in touch with God's grace in a way he would never have experienced God's grace if it weren't for those failures. God's grace is where strength really comes from, and we need to know that today. And that's why we need to swim in it. That's why we need to wallow in the grace of God. Because when we discover the grace of God and how much he's forgiven our sins, we discover afresh just how much Jesus loves us. And when he asks us the question, do you love me? We can say with ever greater confidence, Jesus, I love you. 
do you love me? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, do you love me? Uh, Jesus says, do you love me? And we're able to say, Jesus, I love you. In a sense, Peter's failures were his gateway into God's grace. And you know, I believe the same can be true for you and I. Satan's greatest delight is to keep us from an intimate relationship with Jesus. That would be his greatest delight. He would love it if you and I today felt like absolute failures and people who are wretched in the eyes of our Savior. Satan would love it today if you and I just had our faces in the mud and we got stuck in a pit, but Jesus will not leave you there. He loves us too much. His grace is too great. His cross has finished the work. And Jesus makes an invitation to you and I today. He says, will you come? Will you simply say, I love you, Lord, and by saying, I love you, Lord, would you draw near to Christ and experience his grace afresh? Whatever your disappointment, whatever your failure might be today. Jesus says to you, come and have breakfast with me. Come and hang out with me. Come and do life with me. And if you love me, then you'll experience my grace. Lord, I thank you today. that if we'll only say that we love you, then we find ourselves in a relationship that gives us eternal security. Lord, thank you for our story today, for the stories that we've looked at week by week of how people have had an encounter with you and when they've discovered the real Jesus, they've been changed and transformed even more into his likeness. Lord, thank you that Peter's failures did not define him. Thank you that his shame, that his guilt, his doubt, was not the end of the story of him journeying with you, but in fact, it was just a fresh new beginning. Lord, today we say thank you for your cross. Thank you for your grace. Help us to swim in it, to row in it. Lord, this morning we say to you at the end of this teaching series <laughs> that we love you. Chris, do you love me? I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear.
here. Let's stand together. Let's tell Jesus that we love him this morning. Turn my lips.